Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, we continue our month of family-friendly horror films with the movie that I remember so much from my childhood. This is 1990's The Witches, based on the Roald Dahl book of the same name. And as a kid, I was very familiar with this book from Roald Dahl. Uh, This was one of those books that our teachers read to us in class, and I have very fond memories of, just like a lot of other books, books. I think Matilda. We, I think we got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in there as well. Um, I hope that's still a habit for teachers to read to their kids because it was really nice to have read the book or heard the book, have it be read to me in class, and then see this movie in 1990 when I was a little bit older, but still enjoyed it tremendously. I remember when it came out, uh, I think we saw it in the theaters. And I have to say, I feel like it terrified me a little bit more as an adult (laughs) than it did as a kid. I didn't remember this movie being as scary as it was. I mean, you know, it's not scary for an adult, but I think as I was watching it, I was just putting myself in a, a kid's shoes, and I thought, this movie really is pretty pretty scary. So uh, it was fun for me to watch, and I think it was a very appropriate selection for us for this month. One of those movies that strikes a good balance, I think, between being good for families, but still having that edge to it that makes it a horror movie. Yeah, I was watching it last night, uh, and I watched it with my partner because he enjoyed it when he was younger, too. And I I said pretty much the same thing you did. I'm so glad that we chose this one because it's not even listed. Like, the description on IMDb lists it as, like, family adventure comedy. Um, This is a a straight-up horror movie. It is a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) It is so scary. And I didn't remember it being that scary either, but then watching it last night, you know... in the mindset that I was watching a horror movie, I'm like, this movie is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, sometimes it's like, uh, I say that, well, now that I have a son, I see things a little differently. And I have to say that was pretty on point with this movie too. Now that I have a son, I'm watching what the boy in this movie goes through and I'm getting pissed off. <laughs> I'm getting angry at these witches for doing these horrible things to these poor little boys. And it's just brutal. And it's awful. And as a horror movie, it's just delicious. I I just loved it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's really good. I'm really excited to talk about it. (laughs) Well, like I said, this is based on the Roald Dahl book of the same name. And if you've never read Roald Dahl, I don't know, you must have been hiding under a rock or something, or you just had a horrible childhood, or maybe you just didn't read so much growing up or or have things read to you. He's a pretty celebrated British uh, children's book author, and he's responsible for a lot of these films and, and books that we celebrated. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which was made into Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, there's a movie called Matilda, which is about a girl who gets kind of psychic powers. Telekinetic, yeah. Tele- kinetic powers. It's almost like a kid's version of Carrie in a way, <laughs> isn't it? Mm-hmm. But with not so not quite as dark as Carrie. But one thing that really is interesting about his books, and I think why he has such appeal, is even though he's writing for children, and I feel like this is the key in making a good children's book, even though he's writing for children, he doesn't talk down to children. He doesn't dump thing down to, right. things down to a kid's level. Things are dangerous. Things are dark. Things are scary. 
scary in his books. Just like, you know, I think what makes the Harry Potter series so successful is that this is real peril. Even though these books are, generally speaking, aimed at kids, or at least they deal with kids as the main protagonist, we can all enjoy them. I guess they just have more appeal because kids can see through that too, right? Yeah. As kids, we know that the world is dangerous, and we know that stories are, have scary protagonists, and they have more of an impact when the danger is real, and you're really not sure if people are going to make it out of here okay. And, in fact, people don't always make it out okay right. uh, in his books and in some of the fairy tales, you know, that we that we read as kids and we listen to as kids. And that's what I think makes this movie... One of the things that makes this movie so appealing is it is so dark. Uh, and then it has an ending that's a little different from his book, and I'm sure we'll talk about that when we get there as well. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you think about it analytically, this movie is all about stranger danger. Like, <laughs> just because people might look nice and seem nice doesn't mean that they are. And, and you could be in big trouble <laughs> if you fall for that ruse. And, you know, thinking about the other books that he wrote um, and the movies that have been made from his source material, like the original and only in my book, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, we'll just ignore that abomination that was that Johnny Depp movie. But Oh, God. The Gene Wilder uh, movie, there are legitimately horrifying scenes in that movie. And, like, even just the premise, like, all those kids die. except for charlie (laughs) like they win this contest but then it just uh you know exposes their gluttony and their horrible flaws and they die and charlie's the only one who comes out alive and wins (laughs) the chocolate factory it's crazy Uh, and he's he's a really good author i mean he he wrote He's most famous for these children's books, but he wrote other short stories, and I believe, I could be making this up, but I think novels for adults, too. We teach one in our high school curriculum called Lamb to the Slaughter about a housewife who gets so put out by her misogynistic husband that she beats him to death with a frozen lamb shank, and then she cooks the lamb shake and shank and uh, serves it to the investigators who come to investigate his death. Oh my god. Like, uh, <laughs> That's Shirley Jackson material there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and this this movie is no, or this story is no exception. I didn't read the book until really, probably a few years ago. Um, I was very familiar with the movie, but I only read the book a few years ago. And it's just as dark, if not more dark, than this film. Mm-hmm. Which makes it even more interesting that when Roald Dahl saw the finished cut of this movie, he didn't like it at all. And he said that it was too scary, vulgar, and in bad taste, and there was too much actual terror. Well, sir... Your book was really dark and and upsetting. But regardless, I mean, like you said, the ending is different. In fact, his ending is much darker. And again, we'll save it for later. But his ending is much darker than the ending of the movie. And he didn't like the way that it was changed. And he threatened to have his name and the title removed from the film, and he threatened to campaign against the movie until producer Steven Spielberg wrote him a very flattering and apologetic 
letter, and so he relented, but he also never allowed another adaptation of any of his work, another film adaptation, until his death, and in his will, he left very specific instructions for requirements for any future adaptations. So, (laughs) (laughs) this this movie maybe kind of shaped the way that Dahl's material will be adapted in the future. I don't know. But nonetheless... It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you said, I think it was a slip of the tongue, you said Steven Spielberg, but I think you meant to say Jim Henson. That's what I meant. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Another interesting thing about this movie, making it another last, unfortunately, is that this was the last production Jim Henson was involved in uh, before his very untimely death for really, really stupid reasons. Uh, just like pneumonia, I think he got. He was a hard-working guy. And he got a sickness that most of us recover from, but uh, didn't really get to it in time and didn't really take it seriously enough and uh, ended up dying from it. So this is kind of his swan song as well. Not that his company hasn't continued to do great things in his wake, but we always... He's a guy that we have really missed uh, who contributed so much to film uh, and to our childhoods, and it would be it's kind of a shame really to see that uh, that he's gone. But that was something that I didn't remember about this movie either. Now, this movie was released in 1990, mm-hmm. and it's going to be remade. Uh, a, a remake was already announced. It's been remade, I think. Oh, yeah? Oh, okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's done. I think it's in post-production. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Anne Hathaway, I believe, is going to be playing the the main witch in it. Uh-huh. But, you know, in this remake, guarantee you, it's going to be CGI. Spoiler alert. <laughs> in the movie, the, the boys get turned into mice, and so half of the movie is these mice running around trying to foil the witches. And nowadays, all this stuff is done in CGI. Back in 1990, we didn't really have that, or we didn't have that at the level where it could have been done right. for a film like this. So this is a Jim Henson production, and all of the mice in the movie are either live mice or puppet mice. And they talk, and their mouths move, and they have expressions. And it is really impressive, I think. It is. It's good. I was kind of shocked. And I again, I remember this as a kid, and I didn't really pay attention to this stuff too much as a kid. But the movie does a great job with these little mouse puppets. It's extremely convincing. The mice are done realistically. These little boys run around and talk and everything. And the puppet work is just fantastic. And it's pretty seamless. I mean, you can tell when it's live mice and as opposed to when it's puppet mice. But it cuts back and forth between the two. And it seems pretty seamless. I was really impressed with that, too. Plus, the little mice puppets, the ones that talked, are super cute. Mm. This also is very reminiscent of some of Jim Henson's other stuff. And later in his career and in his life, Jim Henson was not afraid to go a little bit darker with some of his stuff. Like, there's some stuff in here that's very reminiscent of, like, Labyrinth. Mm. And did Henson do the Dark Crystal? I think he did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Absolutely. And so these puppet effects and and makeup costume effects scream Jim Henson Studios, but it's the darker side, and it just, it looks fantastic. I mean, you mentioned the main witch, the Grand High Witch is her name. In this movie, she's played by Angelica Houston, who I think is phenomenal in this movie. She loved playing this role, clearly. You could see it in her face. (laughs) Well, she, yeah, I mean, she did, but when she's transformed into the Grand High Witch, she is in heavy, heavy costume makeup, 
And I've read different things. I read on one website that it took eight hours to get her into the makeup. And I was just thinking, I can't begin to imagine what that would be like to have to sit for eight hours. It's a full work day. I know. I would lose my mind. My partner was like, well, I guess you could try to sleep. <laughs> I guess you could try. I don't know. And th- But I read another thing that said that it actually took six hours to apply, but then also six hours to remove. I mean, that is what? insane. Uh, six hours to remove? <laughs> That's what Wikipedia said. Oh, so there's, there's really one primary scene where she's in this full makeup and she has to deliver this big monologue. She said that... After being in, you know, getting it put on for however long it took, six or eight hours, and then being on a set in this full rubber latex suit, she said that she was so exhausted and just in such a state of physical exhaustion that the lines didn't even make any sense to her and she just wanted to cry. (laughs) I can only imagine. I would too. But she pulled it off brilliantly and it looks fantastic and it is scary as hell. (laughs) Oh, it is. You know, this scene where they have the main meeting is just... It's the most iconic scene, I think, from the movie. It's, I think, one of the most terrifying parts of the movie. It's the part I remember, and that makeup on her is a big part of it. Actually, the little things, you know, the witches... Okay, so the movie starts out in a really nice way, almost like a fairy tale, with this sweet little grandmother talking to her grandson. And she is telling him about witches. And she basically sounds like, although she never says it outright, that she's had some encounters with witches in the past. And that's why she's telling him all this stuff. In fact, there's a pinky finger missing on one of her hands. And uh, it gets kind of highlighted at certain points in the story, or he kind of notices it. And again, it's never called attention to. I don't think she ever even says how she lost that finger. But visually and thematically, it's implied that some she had some encounter with the witch that caused that to happen. And I think... Well, right. He he asks her, he asks her if she ever encountered a witch, and that's when she shows him. And all she says was, like, it was a very unpleasant experience. We don't know. In the book, she was a retired witch hunter who had always been on the hunt for the Grand High Witch. So we don't know exactly what has happened. But this whole part in the beginning, you're right, it is like a fairy tale. In fact, that's how she's telling it to him. It's like a bedtime story. Mm -hmm. And she says, "I, you know, when your dad was a boy, I told him the same thing. And there are real witches in the world, and they look like ordinary women, and they wear ordinary clothes, and have ordinary houses and ordinary jobs. But she also says that There are things that you can look out for. Real witches are quite bold. Although, of course, they wear wigs that itch and cause them scalp rash. Do you know what scalp rash is? No. Itching under the wig must drive them crazy. They look quite hideous behind their human face masks and can only be distinguished from ordinary women if you are sharp enough to spot the purple tinge to their eyes. Real witches have no toes. 
The feet have square ends, revolting stumps where their toes should be. So they never wear pointed or pretty shoes, just plain, sensible shoes. And he says, and they don't use knives or guns to kill children because that is too easy to catch. So they're trickier than that. And all of that is horrifying. I mean, this kid, this cute little kid, what do you think he's supposed to be, like eight, I would guess? seven or eight, not very old. He's small and like he's totally like doe-eyed and innocent. And here she, I love that this grandmother just tells him like it is. You yeah. know, she's not <laughs> sugarcoating anything. She she's legitimately warning him as though it is a legitimate danger. And in the world of this movie, it is. And again, what makes this so terrifying is it's rooted in real life. Like you said earlier, this is basically the stranger danger talk. Uh-huh. The talk that every parent has to have with their kid about this age and say, look, there are bad people in the world that want to do bad things to you and you need to be able to watch out for them and hear the things you watch out for. You know, they're going to be really friendly to you. They're going to say, don't tell your mom and dad. They're going to offer you candy, all this stuff. Stuff. I mean, the parallels are, are right there. And so even as a parent watching this, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to have a similar talk <laughs> with my son. And then as can only happen in movies, you know, as soon as she's told him about this, suddenly he has an encounter with a woman who's trying to lure him down from his little treehouse. To me, <laughs> this is one of the most terrifying scenes in the movie. It is. And it's so scary on multiple levels. So he's up in his treehouse, and I don't know, you can get to it through a little ladder or a rope or something, and this woman just very nicely comes down below and starts chatting with him. And you don't need to have any mythology at all about witches behind it to know that this woman is trouble. Mm-hmm. She's doing exactly what a child predator would do. She's suddenly opening up and being really friendly to him and smiling at him. But then we see this purple glint in her eyes, which looks super scary. And he sees it too. Mm-hmm. And then he's she's offering him things. She says, oh, I, come down. I want to give you something. I want to give you this snake. And she pulls a snake out of her purse. And <laughs> Little boys love snakes. <laughs> and, and you know what? They do. I mean... It's true. <laughs> he, he's really interested in this snake. You can tell. He kind of leans forward and looks down, but he's cautious, you know, because he's heard his grandmother warn him. And he starts to see these warning signs. And she talks to the... She says, you know, oh, it's okay, it's okay. I'll just leave him here. And you can come down and get him later. You know, they do have a tendency to slither away. And then she talks to the snake like she's telling it to stay put. It's so deliciously diabolical and evil what this woman is doing. And the actress is really good. She's kind of frightening in and of herself. I I read that she was Andy Warhol's bodyguard. Isn't that hilarious? (laughs) Are you serious? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The thing that scared me so much was like, he recognizes right away what's going on and he starts screaming for his grandmother and she just looks up at him and says she can't hear you and like that is such Mm. a nightmare as a child you know you're Mm. in danger and you know you're crying out for help but they can't hear you and here you just are in this terrible situation uh 
so scary. I mean, it, yeah. I never went through anything like that in my childhood, but I had nightmares of things like that. And this is yeah. uh, a nightmare. It's horrifying. And as a parent, it's horrifying. As a kid, it's horrifying. But he ends up not taking the bait. And the grandmother does come out. And, you know, the woman was lying to him. Mm-hmm. And she saunters off and the snake disappears. And the grandmother has also told a story that bears discussing real quick uh, about a girl that she knew, or at least was in her neighborhood when she was growing up, who was captured by a witch. And uh, that is equally terrifying child abduction story that's told through flashback. I know! I think that, again, watching it for this reason, and watching it and considering it as a a horror movie, um, this part is is really disturbing. I mean, this cute, cute little girl, she doesn't do anything wrong. She just literally gets nabbed off the street. Mm-hmm. Her parents can't find her, and she's gone for like six weeks or something, and then all of a sudden, she just appears in this big painting above the parents' fireplace looking out at them like she looks sad and it says that the grandmother says that she moves position in the painting but nobody ever sees her move not only that but she ages over the years and the grandmother said it was just a couple years ago that she started to fade and then she faded out altogether and luke says you mean she died and the grandma's like well I don't know. But, like, obviously that's the implication. Mm. And the idea of this poor girl being trapped in that painting, looking out and watching her family for decades until she gets old and Mm. dies, that is horrible! It is. It's a (laughs) straight-out Twilight Zone episode, and it's one of the cruelest. (laughs) You know, it's funny, because the director of this movie, I only looked into him a little bit. But the only other credit that I recognized him from was he directed Don't Look Now with Donald Sutherland, which we've talked Mm -hmm. about on Mm -hmm. this show before, right? Yes, that's right. That movie was super creepy, too. Yeah. With that little girl in red, and it turns out to be this creepy old lady. Mm. I thought it was really interesting that uh, it was the same director, and it makes a lot of sense why this movie is as atmospherically creepy as it is, because that movie was, too. Yeah, he did The Man Who Fell to Earth also with David Bowie, and a pretty decent movie um, that uh, was a bit notorious called Walkabout, uh, 1971, was one of his first ones, uh, about uh, some kids who are stranded in the outback in Australia and uh, have to survive. So yeah, yeah, you're right, and the film does uh, definitely have his touch to it. I really like the... um, angles that he uses in the camera work Mm -hmm. i love how he just uses a wide angle lens really close up on people right up in their faces that Mm -hmm. just provides a very distorting look and it's just terrifying in and of itself yes that's a trick that another one of our uh, favorite directors bob clark likes to use as well it's really effective the the two things the getting down on the ground and really putting us in the shoes of these kids while they're while they're mice. Yes. And then the looking up at these witches with this wide angle lens and that it just distorts their faces as they're cackling and smiling and just 
adds just a really creepy, otherworldly, sinister aspect to these scenes that are otherwise taking place during the day in very, you know, normal domestic settings like a like a hotel, basically. I noticed that whole angle thing even very early on before Luke was turned into a mouse. Just when the grandmother was telling him about the witches, it was shot as though it was from his perspective laying in bed, so it was shooting up at the grandmother, and her face was lit by candlelight, I think, or some very dim light, um, and so everything behind her was just black, and so it was just her face framed in black, and it was just really effective. I mean, there's just... It's just good. Yeah. <laughs> the little boy, I mean, obviously, is a real little boy, so it's not like his acting is sublime, but it's fine. He's totally believable as an innocent little kid, and the other people, the grandmother, the witches, their acting is, is really good, and so I just was totally into it. I, and, and it doesn't pull any punches. I mean, it's not like this is uncommon. It happens in every Disney movie, but right after the grandmother tells uh, Luke about the witches and things, his parents are going out for an evening and uh, they say goodbye to him in a very nice way and they leave in the car but then the next morning he gets up to go show them some drawings he's made for them and they're not in their bed and there's a knock at the door and it's the police and his parents have been killed in a car accident and there's a nice moment where the grandmother is you know crying on the couch and Luke comes in and she just wraps him up in the blanket or shawl that she's got herself wrapped in and they hold on to each other for a minute but then through narration the grandmother says I didn't take him back to America right away I decided to take him to England where I had a house I think this grandmother must be super wealthy for unknown reasons (laughs) (laughs) it's gotta be oh my gosh (laughs) so they have this nice little cottage in England and that's where he first encounters that one really scary witch Um, But then, for his birthday, she gives him two pet white mice, but immediately then falls ill. And it turns out that she is diabetic, and she's um, suffering from some of the symptoms of diabetes, and the doctor tells her that she should take a holiday. And so they book a holiday at this seaside hotel, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's on, like, these cliffs. It looks very secluded. It's a gorgeous hotel. Again, she must be very independently wealthy because they stay Mm, in this huge suite in this beautiful seaside hotel. But that's where things start to go down. Immediately after they arrive, we see Angelica Houston arrive, and... Gosh, you know, I have no idea how old she is now. I have no idea how old she was then, but she looks amazing. She is statuesque. She is Yeah. J- I, I she looks like a Greek goddess. Like she's tall and <laughs> and not like supermodel skinny, but lean and just so put together and just she has such a, a unique face. She has amazing bone structure, and she just carries herself in this movie with the ultimate confidence and condescension. Like, she's looking down at everybody. Oh, yeah. I, I can't say enough about... Like you said, she must have just enjoyed every second of being able to play this role because she just embraces it and is wicked and 
evil and fantastic. Frankly, <laughs> I can't imagine. Now, I'm willing to give it a chance, and I do like Anne Hathaway, but Anne Hathaway is sweet. Uh and cute and pretty and I just can't imagine her capturing this kind of power yeah but I will reserve my judgment until I see it (laughs) well it's kind of like you say I mean she's almost a little bit like Sigourney Weaver you know she can be cute and nice and very you know quote-unquote feminine but she's got an edge she's very in control she has a part just an aspect to her i don't know it's her face or physicality just her personality and the way she can play roles where she can be very much in charge and very much you know dominating and hold her own and that makes her very convincing and i agree with you i don't feel like anne hathaway as a person seems to have that aspect (laughs) you know just a little too soft around the edges a little too sweet but yeah Yeah. we'll remain we'll retain some judgment and see we'll see she is a very talented actress so we'll see it's funny that you mentioned sigourney weaver because she was considered for the role lots of people were considered for the role Cher was in like (laughs) high contingent wow eartha kitt who i can totally see and bancroft Olivia Hussey, I don't really see that. Linda Blair. Linda Blair. Faye Dunaway. (laughs) Faye Dunaway, maybe. Susan Sarandon, maybe. Jodie Foster, I don't know. Vanessa Redgrave, maybe. Francis Conroy, I can definitely see. Liza Minnelli. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be a little weird. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Uh, Let's go kill some children. Yeah, but Angelic... (laughs) but angelica houston was uh cast and i i read that raul dahl made a point of never recommending anybody for a role in his movies again after willy wonka and the chocolate factory because he had an actor in mind for willy wonka and they didn't go with them and they went with gene wilder instead and he said i'm just not going to recommend anybody again but they cast angelica houston and it turned out that that was in fact who he had envisioned in the role so he was really pleased with her casting and he was right yeah she nailed it she was involved in i think the adams family around this time as well wasn't she the film adaptation of that so a little later but yes Great in that, too. She was a bit uh, high profile around this time as well, so I'm sure she brought some star power to the movie that it really didn't have otherwise. She was Jack Nicholson's girlfriend at the time. I don't know if that had anything to do with Ah! it. (laughs) Apparently, he uh, was calling the hotel and sending her flowers all the time. They had a pretty intense romance uh, for a while. Interesting story there, but for another time, anyway. (laughs) Well, another person who's in this movie of note, maybe the only other one, is uh, Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, who uh-huh. wasn't Mr. Bean at the time. I think he was doing this in his act, but his TV series that really rocketed that character to stardom, I think came out a year after this movie, or maybe the same year that this was produced. And so The same year, I think. And yeah. so he's, you know, rarely rarely do we ever see him since Mr. Bean, like, talking too much. But he's, I think he plays a fantastic character in this mm-hmm. as kind of the... What do you call him? The guy who's kind of in charge of all the service at the hotel? Maitre, no, not maitre d, concierge. Concierge, yeah. I think he's like the hotel manager. Yeah. He based his role on a role that John Cleese played in, I think, a television series. John Cleese is 
one of his heroes and so he uh based his performance on that and he plays a small role but now that we know him it's fun he's a fun he's a good actor he's a funny guy well there's a bit and i wonder if when roald dahl was talking about vulgarity if this is what he had in mind because this was definitely not in the book but there's a bit of adult byplay going on between him and a woman who works at the hotel that's just implying that the two of them are having a, a bit of a salacious relationship and it's yeah. so funny. It's clearly just thrown in there for the adults, but uh, it, it's just kind of a funny aspect of this movie uh, that they keep popping up. And there's every now and then in these scenes a reference to, uh, oh, I've I've been with her all day. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I saw her a few minutes ago and she's fine. You know, these, <laughs> right. these kind of comments. So yeah, those are the only two really recognizable actors in the movie and the child actor. And this is the first and only film role he ever had. And he apparently he went on to become a, barrister after this oh not the main kid i think you're thinking of bruno the the main kid was in at least a couple other things not a lot but the main kid was i think in parenthood with steve martin was he really um, And i love that movie too yeah oh gosh i know but i haven't seen it in decades yeah he's been in a couple of things not a lot Hook? Um, oh. But when when they get there, Luke meets another little kid, Bruno, and he's like this gluttonous little kid, but but not a bad kid. I mean, he's a little rude, not unfriendly, no, um, a little rude, and definitely. I mean, like when Luke uh, meets him, he's like nibbling all the raisins off the buns at the like tea buffet or whatever. <laughs> Bruno Jenkins. The cucumber sandwiches are all right too, except when they use margarine instead of butter. How much pocket money do you get? My dad's rich, but he's very tight. We've got three cars. Hello, boys. I hope there's butter in the sandwiches today. I really do hate margarine. There was one other moment that I wanted to mention, though. As soon as they come in, the Grand High Witch comes in right after them, and as she's checking in, she looks and she sees a painting, and there's a little kid in the painting, and she flicks it, and you kind of hear, like, like like it's hurt and then she walks away and the kid fades away out of the painting and watching it this time was the first time i realized she just killed that kid <laughs> did you catch that yeah she, she did she killed the kid it's horrible <laughs> these people they are actively murdering children and that's what it comes down to like there's some business where the maid who Rowan Atkinson is like having an affair with or whatever gets scared by Luke's pet mice because they're out on the bed and Luke gets in trouble but the grandmother like makes up some story about seeing rats in the hotel and she says she's gonna like call the health department or something and so Rowan Atkinson is like well fine he can keep his mice but they have to stay in the cage and they have to stay in the room and the kid's like, but I have to keep training them. So the grandma's like, well, that's fine, but you can't do it in here because the maid may come back and you can't get caught. So he goes, he takes his mice to go find a place to train them. And the place that he finds is this big, empty conference room. And he does, you know, he plays with his mice in there for a while until the uh, room becomes occupied. And... It's a meeting of the Royal Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. (laughs) But really, it's the meeting of all of these witches. And once they are all in there, they lock the doors. And 
the Grand High Witch, Angelica Houston, tells them that they can take off their shoes and take off their wigs, which they do. And they've all got, like, disgusting head rash, and they're scratching at it. And then... Well, I'll get to the big reveal in a second. I just wanted to say, I've always loved, and I always noticed, even when I was a kid, that at least... 50% 50% of these witches are men <laughs> in, in in drag. Yeah. And and they clearly did that on purpose to make them less appealing, you know, yeah. not feminine. Um, and it works. It's great. They look ugly and horrible. And then that's when the Grand High Witch peels off her face yeah. which they had to cut part they cut part of that in the European release so that they could get the the what's equivalent to our PG rating because it is grotesque like she literally peels her face off and she is just the design is brilliant it's just great she looks she's a nightmare she is and her she has a nose like a foot long and uh, her fingers uh, by the way I'm not sure how she tucks that nose into her face I guess it's just part (laughs) of the overall magic magic transformation I I don't know why she even has a peel off face really but if she's that good at hiding everything else with magic because she has these fingers also that are also about a foot long each and I was noticing this time around just because I was really curious about it even the fingers you know they're not flopping around like some rubber fingers on her Mm -mm. hand they're clearly articulated like puppetry just like they're mechanized yeah the rest of her face it's such a convincing such a deliciously disgusting and evil looking design on her it's fantastic and then the way she plays this role is just incredible it's scary it's super scary actually i mean it's scary for me it is and she does it with a German accent, which I think is always just a, a smart choice. <laughs> which is just always like all Americans think German accents are inherently scary. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I wrote somewhere in my notes, I wrote Grand High Witch Reveal, and then I wrote Great Audio. Mm. But really then, as the scene continued, I was like, like, it's just gold. It is. All of the, her talking. It's fantastic. Witches of England. You're disgrace! Miserable witches! You're good for nothing worms! Everywhere I look, I see the repulsive sight of hundreds, thousands of revolting little children. I ask you, Like, she's just so good. And eventually, she lays out her plan. And the plan is to, in her words, rub out every child in England. There's a great scene where one witch whispers to the witch next to her, oh, there's there's no way we could get rid of all of them. And the Grand High Witch has, like, this whole rhyme about insubordination and then she zaps her with lasers from her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) 
she just goes up in flames while all the rest of them watch. And, and they almost enjoy it like everybody else. They're they do. so sadistic, these witches. They're fawning, like completely fawning all over this woman, embarrassingly so. But also they're terrified of her. But also they love it when she exacts retribution on one of their own and burns this girl up uh-huh. they, she yells at another woman who jumps up and tries to poke holes in her plan and everybody's standing around smiling just waiting to see what's going to happen to her i mean these people are just like pure evil it's horrifying yes and the whole time the you know uh, luke is just sitting in the corner behind this screen watching this happen and you're wondering how is he going to get out of this his mouse runs away and escapes she tells them that you're all going to go back home and you're going to quit your jobs and I'm going to give you a ton of money and you're going to buy candy stores sweet shops she calls them and she says I've made this formula and she pulls out this little tiny vial and it says formula 86 on it and she says each one of these little vials has what did you say like 500, 500 or 200 doses, doses yeah. or whatever and uh you're gonna put it in the candy and all the kids are gonna come eat it and the lady who tries to poke the hole she's like it it's poison and she's like no you idiot it's not poison if all of these kids drop dead then you know they would know what happened and then she gives this <sighs> to borrow a word from you, delicious uh, mm-hmm. description of what's going to happen to them. And she teases it. She does it slowly like, Child is no longer a child. <laughs> child is a mouse! <laughs> Which reveals that she's about to demonstrate her formula to the crowd because it has a two-hour activation time. And just about two hours ago, I gave a little bit of it to a gluttonous little boy out in the lobby and invited him in here with the promise of six more bars of chocolate. And it turns out it's Bruno. (laughs) And he comes in. And uh, it's so funny. They all put their wigs back on. Angelica Houston puts her face back on. There's a great moment where, like, the secretary, because she has this kind of reluctant secretary who's trying to get her face on. And, like, it's hard, obviously, because she's got that huge nose. But they eventually get it on. And I love the moment right before Bruno walks in where you see Angelica Houston. It's clearly just her now. But it's like she's still trying to trying to fix her face around the outside. <laughs> uh, so funny. It is. And Bruno comes in, her reaction to him, like, she is so disgusted. She can't even say child or children without almost throwing up, which is hilarious. And then when he comes in, as he's approaching her, you can just see her in her performance, like, dry heaving and trying not to (laughs) make it noticeable. But eventually, uh, he's, you know, he said, you promised me chocolate. And she's like, you're in for a treat. Uh, And then she looks at the witches. All of you are. And they count down to the second it's supposed to happen. And then it happens. And this transformation is Jim Henson, you know, creature puppet effects. And it's amazing to look at and scary. Like horror movie stuff. Mm -hmm. And they had to cut out parts of this for the European release too because it was just too much uh, for the rating that they wanted. But I just think it looks fantastic. 
fantastic. It does. God, I just, I know I'm going on and on, but seriously, like, this came out in 1990, and I wish we saw more stuff like this today. These practical effects. Obviously, they have to do camera cuts away. Like, you don't see the entire transformation. You just see it in stages. But every stage is just more and more grotesque. And, oh, it looks so good. And then he turns into a mouse, and then he's a little mouse puppet, and they try to stomp him out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gets away. Yep. And then the meeting's over, and they're all going to leave, and they're about out the door. But the lady who works at the hotel and is also a witch is kind of cleaning up the stage, and she says she smells dog's droppings, which is what the grandmother had told Luke that children smell like to them. We were watching this, and my partner was like, okay, now you're right, this is scary. Because they smell him, and they're like sniffing him out, and eventually he runs for it, but they're all grasping at him and trying to get him. And uh, again, my partner was like, yeah... This is scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then... It's a terrifying It thing. is terrifying. They grab him, and this is the part that kind of pissed me off the most, is they grab him, and they just lay him out on this table, and she forces this stuff down. It's really disturbing. <laughs> it really is. She forces oh, the whole bottle down his throat, and sure enough, he instantly starts transforming. It's just as disturbing as before. He becomes this little mouse, and again, they try to stomp him out, but he runs away underneath the stage. And you hear in the background Angelica Houston's character go, that's okay, don't worry about them, it's not worth it anymore, let's go eat. And so they all leave and file out. There's actually, just really quick, a, a little... Just really quick, they they don't get him right away. In fact, he runs through the hotel, and uh, he runs outside, and the Grand High Witch comes across this woman, mother, or nanny who's, like, sitting on a bench reading a book, and the baby, an infant, is in a pram, and the Grand High Witch pushes it down the hill towards the cliff, (laughs) and Luke has to go chasing after it, and he eventually gets it, but... I mean, this is a children's movie, and this woman just pushed an infant in a pram towards its ultimate demise. Like, (laughs) I'm kind of surprised they got away with some of this. I don't know if they could get away with some of this. Maybe not. I guess we'll have day and age. I guess we'll have to see in the remake. (laughs) Yeah, and see, and I don't remember if that was in the book. I have a feeling it wasn't, but I don't remember. But anyway, they turn Luke into a mouse, and then there's a lot of cute stuff. With he meets up with Bruno. They actually meet up with uh, William and Mary, the two little pet mice. And there's a lot of cute stuff with them running through the hotel and trying to avoid the guests and stuff. They get to the grandmother, and of course, the grandmother, being who she is, accepts this immediately. Yeah. You know, she just understands that it's the work of witches. And so she tries to take Bruno back to his parents, but they totally. Because well, Bruno, he's busy eating, so he won't talk to them. And so they just totally reject it. I actually, I love that scene because it it's a little unrealistic the way it plays out. But first of all, the both of the kids seem a little not terribly concerned that they're mice right now. Right. Um, especially Bruno, who is oblivious to the fact that he's a mouse until it's pointed out to him. And then he's kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. <laughs> he's just kind of an oblivious kid anyway, which provides some of the comedy. But then when this grandmother sits down in front of the parents and is like, I have to talk to you about your son. And they're like, okay, where is he? What's going on? They're not 
painted as really great parents anyway they're like oh where is he he says well he's very near like oh really is he around she's like no i have him here in my handbag yeah and they sit there <laughs> way too long and just calmly listen to this woman like what what are you talking about what could you possibly be doing <laughs> yeah plus they're assholes anyway and i think in like 2020 if a woman came up to you and said i have your son here in a handbag then um they'd be pretty freaked out at that very moment <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not that kind of horror movie, I guess, is what we're trying to say. No, but they, they right, they they just think she's crazy. Um, and then there's a funny scene where Luke tells the grandmother that he knows who the Grand High Witch is, and she's like, oh, I thought I recognized her. Luke has a plan. He's like, we got to get some of the potion, and they're having a special dinner for them tonight, and they're all going to be served this one particular soup. So if I can get some of the potion... I can put it in their soup, and then they'll all turn into mice. And the grandmother is reluctant and doesn't want to do it, but he's like, we have to. So, coincidentally, they're staying in the room directly above (laughs) the Grand High Witch. So, she takes her knitting. She's, like, knitting a sock. She puts him in it, and she lowers him down onto the balcony of the Grand High Witch's room. And he goes to get the potion. There's a cat there that chases him around, and which actually is kind of scary in its own right. Yeah. And then uh, the grandmother distracts it with her knitting. She's, like, playing with it or whatever. So he goes and he gets the potion and gets back into, I think... I don't remember. Does he get into the grandma's sock or does he get back some other way? He gets back some other way. Yes. The Grand High Witch. Yeah, the Grand High Witch shows up and so he has to go back through the hotel. But he gets back. uh, And so they're going to set this plan into motion. So they go to the dinner. He has to go through the kitchen, which he does, which is a great scene because there's peril at every turn. Yeah. He gets the potion into the soup, but then the cook sees him. And cuts his tail off with, like, a meat cleaver. (laughs) And so then he's just got, like, this bloody stump tail. (laughs) I love this. It's the classic rat in the kitchen gag. It only just now crossed my mind. Like, if he he were to return to human form, like, what would he be missing? Like, (laughs) because something definitely got chopped off. <laughs> Son, you've now been circumcised. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just the tip. <laughs> Your last two vertebra are gone. Good luck with that. Oh gosh. But they, yeah. they do. They get the they get it into the soup and the witches are all eating the soup. I don't know. I mean I feel like I'm kinda trying to rush, but this all happens very quickly. It does. Well that's uh, am one... I miss am I missing anything noteworthy? No, you're not really, and that's one thing about this movie is it it's a, it's a long build up. And it's a great buildup, and then uh, it you know the the rest of it moves very very quickly, probably faster than I would imagine the remake's going to go. I'm sure the remake's going to make the the last half of the movie this wild ride of him evading the witches and him them coming up with this plan and their plan getting you know going wrong and you know having to regroup and all this stuff like movies tend to do now. But back then we liked movies to be a nice tight hour and a half or less, and this movie is right. And right. it moves very quickly and very satisfyingly, I think, towards its conclusion. There's only so much time we really want to spend watching these mice run around. You know, honestly. Right. I think 
most of the fun was in the buildup, and now we know what they're what they're going to do, and they end up doing it, and it works. You know, all these witches, they eat the soup, and there's this kind of chaotic scene with all this green smoke. They're spewing. Actually, it's also a bit terrifying as well, where these ladies are just spewing green smoke as they're transforming into these these rats and and apparently uh even the green smoke itself during the scene was was really troublesome to angelica houston's contact lenses that she had in and they had to constantly be re-wetting them during the scene so even this scene was unpleasant for her when she's not even in full makeup but she transforms into this nasty looking little rat and the grandmother traps it under a pitcher and tells rowan atkinson's character hey go over there there's a particularly nasty little mouse that you need to deal with he goes over there and lifts it up and with a meat cleaver takes out the head witch which is extremely satisfying Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also pretty gross for a kid's movie even though it doesn't go into too much detail uh, but yeah, that's it. And so all the witches are killed, and uh, the this is where the movie starts to deviate a little bit from the book. All of them are killed except for the woman who was the Grand High Witch's secretary because she wasn't allowed to come to the dinner for whatever reason. Like, she's too much of a peon or whatever. And we actually see a scene of her sitting up in the room by herself, and she says, well, I never really wanted to be one of them anyway. The grandmother dumps Bruno on the, his parents' table, and they hear him talk, so they have to accept that. <laughs> in the book, it's implied that the dad dumped Bruno in a mop bucket and encouraged a janitor to drown him. But that doesn't happen in the movie. (laughs) Big surprise there. And so the grandmother and Luke go home. And Luke has this amazing mouse haven where he can, like, ride in little trains and cars and has all these tunnels and different things. And they're talking about their plan, which – and this is what happens in the book, too. They are going to – they took all the money because the Grand High Witch had enough money for all of those witches to buy all these sweet shops, and they took all of that. So they're going to go on uh, a mission to find whoever's going to be appointed the new Grand High Witch, and somehow they're going to turn all the witches in the world to mice. Now, in the book, Luke realizes that he's – a mouse and that's all there is to it and mice only live for a certain amount of time and so the book ends on him kind of coming to the realization that he and his grandmother are probably going to die right around the same time the end the filmmakers wanted a happier ending and so they filmed an ending where that secretary comes and restores luke to his human form happy ending. Roald Dahl was he saw it and he was furious. He hated it. He hated the happy ending. So the director said, okay I'll film your ending too. And he did and Roald Dahl saw it and was brought to tears because he liked it so much. Mm-hmm. Well, they decided to go with the original, or with, <laughs> with the happy ending anyway. <laughs> big, big F you to the, to the, to the source material. To, to the, the writer. writer. Yeah. No matter, no wonder Roald Dahl was such a bitter man. <laughs> well, I, I have to say in this case, as you know, this movie 
really was very dark and i'm i'm kind of happy that they went with the happy ending it's nice that he was restored to his human form i don't i don't think i would have been disappointed either way but i i like the ending as it is I actually think it would have been better with the other ending, just because I don't like my endings pat and neat. And of course, as a kid, this never bothered me that this had a happy ending. As an adult, I think it's just too sappy. You know, it it just seems a little rushed at the end, a little too convenient that the spurned witch comes in and restores him. Okay, whatever. I can get behind any ending. It's not that important to me. But I think that just artistically, it would have, and thematically, it would have been a lot nicer just to have him as the mouse. They didn't have to, in the movie, point out that his lifespan would be small or something like that. But there was something very poignant about the moment at which he, as a mouse, sitting in the little real Ghostbusters uh, <laughs> a firehouse, going to bed, says very cheerfully to his grandmother, you know, Grandma, I'm really, really happy being a mouse. And Grandma, who's laying in her bed with her face turned away and tears in her eyes, says, I know, Luke, I know. Mm-hmm. That was pretty poignant moment that I felt kind of got spoiled <laughs> a little bit by the woman coming and going, ah, I'll make you a boy anyway. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But anyway. Fair enough. No, it was it was still fine. And and as a, you know, as an adult watching this movie again, I feel like I appreciate it even more than I did as a kid watching it. And uh, if you're going to show this movie to your kids, you don't want them to be too little. <laughs> yeah. I watched this when I was in middle school. That's about the right age. I'd say middle elementary or something like that is probably okay. It is scary. It might even be more scary to me as an adult because I have more hooks to hang all this stuff on. But I do remember it being scary as a little kid as well, but not quite as terrifying. I think you're safe showing this to your kid around that age. But my three-year-old son, five-year-old, I probably would wait a little bit before showing him this movie because it is truly, truly a horror film and a really good one at that. Yeah, my sister read the book to her kids, um, and I think they're like 11 and 9 now, and she said that uh, they watched the movie afterwards, and I was surprised because her son, who's the older one, um, is is really affected by these types of things, and he doesn't like it. And I said, wasn't he scared? And she said, yeah, but we made him watch it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, your sister. It really is scary. Uh, the truth of the matter is, you know, watching it again in its entirety, because it comes on on cable every once in a while, and I'll, you know, leave it on while I'm doing stuff or whatever. I knew going in that I liked it. Sitting and watching it from beginning to end for the purpose of this podcast, I just appreciate it so much more. Mm. And as though you couldn't tell from the way that I've talked about it throughout this podcast, I think it's great. I think it is an excellent movie, and it is a horror movie. I mean, you know, Facebook commenters what fight me you know like yeah. <laughs> i i will i will die on this hill this is a horror movie and it's scary and i think it's really good i think it's scarier than a lot of the movies that we talk about on here no i think you're absolutely right it truly is and i'm glad we did it me too 
All right. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Find us online on our YouTube channel. Find us on our website on and on Facebook. Just search for Two Guys and a Chainsaw and you'll find us. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought about this movie. We still have the rest of this month coming up with more child-slash-family-friendly horror films coming. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Ah! <laughs>